It happens again because, of course, it does to the Charlotte Hornets. They experience injuries, more injuries last night against the Pelicans. Now the question is, does that leave more room open for someone from the G League, perhaps James Booknight, to come up and play with the big boys? We'll talk about it today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. That's Doug Branson. You can find his Substack every Hornets box score, on everyhornetsboxscore.com. I'm Walker Mail. You can catch me on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ from 12 to 3 with Wes and Walker. Why are you laughing, Doug? What's going on? Oh, well, I was just thinking that, you know, I, I watch the game so that you don't have to on every Hornets box score. I don't want that to be the catchphrase of, of every Hornets box score. I would love if people just flock to their television to watch the Charlotte Hornets night in and night out. I don't think that that would be fair to ask of fans right now, especially last night when there was a ton of great college basketball going on. Uh, but I did the work. I sat in front of my television. I peeled my eyelids back and I watched what happened in New Orleans and I wrote about it and you should go read it. Well, I mean, so much of this show is you laughing and then me stopping or you making a facial expression and then me stopping to then go to you and yeah. say, OK, why are you laughing? Why are you making that facial expression? And I thought I did something wrong when I talked about your Substack, But no, you're just laughing at the game that you had to write about. I'm sorry, Walker. There's a lot going on upstairs, you know, and, and, and a lot of it is me ignoring what you're saying and thinking about my own stuff. And then I think about my own stuff and then I laugh at my own stuff. Uh, so it's com- it's complicated, you know, uh, chemistry going on up here. Uh, so I apologize, but I am trying to work on not interrupting you. And so part of that process is instead of stopping you, I just let out a little chuckle. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the setup, it's all like you're right in my face with this camera, you know, and sometimes if I don't have another tab open, what happens is I go from the other tab to the tab that shows your face and then you're laughing or making a facial expression like, great. At what point did that happen? Did I say something wrong? Do I need to kick it to Doug? So a lot of paranoia here as soon as you laugh. And I thought that was true for the sub stack, but that's not true. You're just laughing because the Hornets lost 115 to 96. Oh, and they lost three other dudes along the way. (laughs) <laughs> the injuries are crazy. That's why you're laughing hysterically and your family's worried about you. Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre, they each left the game in the first half. They would not return. Of course, that adds to the injury list for this team. Rozier experienced right foot discomfort and Oubre suffered a right shoulder strain. That wasn't enough, though, because then Dennis Smith Jr., he left in the third quarter with an illness. Doug, just explain what would I find on every Hornets box score if you want to give us a little tiny, little tiny tease. Well, the Hornets are a mash unit right now and not not the Jamal Mashburn mash unit. That was a great mash unit. That was one of my favorite mash units. Uh, Although this, like what, 15th on the all-time Hornets list or well, something like list, that? Or, well. <laughs> your terrible list of the 30 greatest players in Hornets history. Uh, but not my list. My, my my list, he's way up there. So I, I love Jamal Mashburn, but this is not the mash unit that I'm talking about. More injuries. Those players that you listed all have something in common. Uh, they are big parts of what the Hornets are doing right now. They're all guards. 
So the Hornets essentially played more than a quarter and a half with no point guard against a Pelicans team that is without Zion Williamson, but still has Brandon Ingram, still has C.J. McCollum, and they are fighting tooth and nail. They needed a a win pretty desperately, and they're fighting tooth and nail uh, to get into the Western Conference play-in with only a few games left to play, and they they played like it. They played really hard. Triple-double from Ingram. uh, McCollum poured in 20. uh, Couldn't do anything with Jonas Valanciunas. He had 20 and 19 and eight offensive rebounds. But yeah, when you're missing all of those guys, even though you they fought hard, let's just give them credit for that because they were only down seven points going into the fourth quarter. But without Dennis Smith Jr., no point guard. I mean, you're asking Bryce McGowans and Svee Mikhailuk to handle the ball. And you're really asking Gordon Hayward to do some of that as well. But you can't, but as Steve Clifford mentioned after the game, you can't play him every minute, especially Gordon Hayward, right? I mean, it's it is dripping with irony that Hayward is sitting here as the sort of is the example of health on this team right now, because so Rozier goes out with the, um, we didn't mention the injuries. Rozier leaves with, oh, I think you did say foot discomfort. No, I did. Ke- you were Kelly ignoring Oubre me with, and then doing a facial expression or laughing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Again, I wasn't I did listening. Mention injuries. Yeah. The foot discomfort feels like something that probably has been lingering for, I, I don't want to say a while, but typically you don't like go into a game fully healthy and then leave with discomfort. Now, Kelly Oubre was was a strain, and he was like pointing to the shoulder. So something happened there, I think, in the game. But Rozier's probably been dealing with this for multiple games and finally said, all right, I got to go. And then Dennis Smith Jr., probably after seeing both, the the, the really – I mean, you're talking about Rozier and Oubre, who have been the leading shot takers on this team. He probably watched – he was probably fine before the game, and then he watched both of them leave and went, I'm feeling sick. And I don't blame him because I was too (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> um, you mentioned Valanchunas. Do you want to hear the stats from Valanchunas against the Hornets in the last three games? Sure. I mean, last no, but night go he ahead. went for. T- <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. Last night he went twenty and nineteen and gave you three assists. Mm-hmm. The previous game, October twenty first, twenty twenty two, he gave you game 30, of the season. Yep, thirty seventeen and four. And then March 21st, 2022, so almost a year ago to the date they played last night, 24 points, 18 and 5. I mean, just destroying in every sense of the word the Charlotte Hornets. And before that, he had only scored 20 points against Charlotte once, and that was with Toronto in 2018. So the Valanchunas, I mean, just destroys the Hornets last night. That kind of triggered the, oh, he's on the list. And why why do you think that is? Oh, well, I mean, because they've not had a big guy for a long time. You don't have Mark Williams this game. Mark wasn't what kind in the rotation. Of what kind of big guy do you need to play a guy like Jonas Valanciunas, who is a like physically a monster? Uh, I, I'm I'm not getting the exact fill in the blank for you. <laughs> you need a physical big. You need somebody yeah. that is willing to go in there, willing and able. Should should make that qualifier. Hmm. You need to be willing and able to get in there. And dust it up with Jonas because Jonas is going to dust it up. He's a he's a duster. Okay, he's a physical center who uh, is somebody that's going to grab a rebound if if you're not going to bother to to hit first. And and I think that was the problem here. Look, I mean Nick Richards, uh, you know, just signed his extension. I think he's he, he's improved his game, uh, but they targeted him in this game. I think it was a big story. They they went after him early in the game. They started with a I think a nine one run. 
And all of those nine points, it felt like, were scored because they were actively trying to either go one-on-one with Valanciunas and and Nick Richards, or they were putting him in pick-and-roll situations and making him make choices, and he was making the wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Nick Richards still struggles defensively just one-on-one. Now, the rim protection numbers have been good, but when you're just talking about one-on-one banging with somebody, yeah, the other person, if you are Valanchunas, is often going to win. Let's get to the big storyline, though, here. Let's actually talk about it in the next segment. It's time to go to the next segment, so let's just go ahead and do that. Whee! Coming up next, Locked on Hornets. With all of the injuries happening, what does this mean for James Booknight? That is the question. We saw him go for 44 points in the G League not too long ago, and we still didn't think that would give him any playing time. But now it just might, especially with all of the injuries that the Hornets have suffered. This episode is brought to you, by the way, by Nissan Aria. Whew, we got to find an electric player of the week here, Doug. Um on Monday, we could find Kelly Oubre against the Pacers, but it's been a while. So now we really have to pick somebody in this game against the Pelicans. Do we go Makai Luke or did you want to go oh, for PJ Washington? <laughs> I like it. I like Svee in this slide. 15, but let me give you the stats and then you can tell yep. everybody uh, the, the, the adjectives here. 15 points, 6 of 12. The bench actually stepped up in this game. It's a rare game in which the bench steps up. 15 points on 6 of 12 shooting. Svee handled the ball, too, for a lot of this game. <laughs> he got some kudos from the coach after the game. Okay, so we have to find one that describes Svee of these qualities that are found in not only a Nissan Aria, but also a Svee Mikhailuk. Electric, brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful, elegantly powerful. Which one do you think? is in the middle of the Venn diagram of Svi Mikhailuk and the Nissan Aria. Well, I'm going to go brilliantly fierce because I, okay. I feel like he's all, every time he steps on the floor, he plays super hard and he has a veteran savvy. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes. He, he has limitations, which is why he's been a journeyman. But anytime he steps on the court, I think you can trust him. And, and that makes him brilliantly fierce. Okay, delivers on duality, combination of fierceness and elegance, beautiful but strong. It is the perfect SUV crossover, the 2023 Nissan Aria packs. Yes, there you go, 100%. Yeah, there we go. It's the perfect SUV crossover. It packs pin you to your uh, seat power and premium intelligence, all-in-one electric vehicle, the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the electric vehicle for people who love to drive shop now at nissanusa.com more to come locked on hornets is locked on hornets but i have seen him go all the way up to number 10 that was is there a warning do we need to get out of here okay here's the thing my i don't know if you heard but my watch went off and i was trying to silence it and then i accidentally hit ping the phone and then the phone pinged and and now here we are I'm doing my best, man. It seems like you're doing your very worst. <laughs> well, sometimes it seems like you're I'm actively fighting you today to move. To sometimes move my best is my worst. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Doug, you're still mad at the Pelicans. You're still mad at New Orleans and you want to go on a <laughs> look at you. I'll go to my oh, I will go, go to ahead. my grave mad at the Pelicans. They will be mm-hmm. factored in somehow into my epitaph. Uh yeah, I mean, because every time we play them, they, it feels like they take something from us. And they've been taking stuff from us since they took our franchise. I mean, it's incredible. It's just like three players exit and and 
I'm not saying the Pelicans had anything to do with it. They weren't playing dirty. It's just like them just existing, I think, has been a negative on the, the Charlotte franchise uh, as it stands. And I'm just I'm sick of it. And I don't think fans understand that there's a real possibility because the Pelicans from the Anthony Davis trade owned the Lakers pick. There is still a real possibility that the Pelicans could steal Wimby away from the Charlotte Hornets, that we could have a Rich Cho situation where he's standing there at the draft, one pick away from Anthony Davis. Couldn't do it. Could no, it again. Yeah. That- <laughs> because <laughs> the Pelicans took it over. It's 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 actually one of those things where you're laughing hysterically, even though you are experiencing a lot of pain. All right, Doug, James Book tonight. We talked about the possibility he would see some run. Both of us didn't necessarily expect that because we were so close to the end of the season. But now you just might need a body. Terry Ogier, not out there. Kelly Oubre, all players who can play in the backcourt exited this game either in the second quarter or in the third quarter last night. Do you expect James Booknight to get some run at the end of the season? If you're missing multiple of these players, Terry, Kelly, and Dennis, yeah, you you have to have, you have, to have people that can handle the ball so that you're not constantly asking Gordon Hayward to play and to play make. Uh, so, yes, um, I do expect – Again, unless all of these players come back healthy, then I won't expect it. But I would be shocked if we don't see something come across the timeline that they've recalled uh, James Booknight. And if he does uh, get an opportunity here, good for him. He, now he's he's got one more shot uh, to. Well, I mean, he's he's contractually he's under contract, so I mean, I guess he'll have more shots in the future, maybe this coming off season. But um, he's he's got another shot here uh, because of injury, and that was the only way I saw this happening. I think I did say that that you know, pending multiple injuries to guards. And that's exactly what happened against New Orleans. Well, they have eight games left. So they have a game against Dallas tonight. So it's the second night of a back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, back-to-back. Back. Oh, you reminded me. Back-to-back, back, traveling back-to-back, back, and the Hornets get all of these injuries. I mean, Get the clothespins ah. out. It's Reddit, yeah. Go ahead. Get the clothespins out. Make sure those eyes stay wide and open for this game against Dallas. They have a little matinee basketball on Sunday. I just like matinee basketball, even if it is the Hornets down every backcourt player ever. It's going to happen at 12 o'clock. OKC, Chicago, two games against Toronto, Houston, Cleveland. That is the eight-game stretch they have left on the schedule. And so maybe the question isn't if Book Knight is going to get run because if they don't have any of those bodies, then you need someone like Book Knight, who you drafted in the first round, to maybe man some of those responsibilities. But maybe the question is, is there a legitimate chance that he can change opinions in these last eight games? I mean, is is there an injury... Is there an injury opportunity for James Booknight to come in where you did not expect it? And then over the course of eight games, like it's not, it's not huge, right? Like this is not some big sample size by any means, but is it enough for you to say, all right, maybe he did a little something for us to see what he can do in summer league. Like, did he prolong some kind of opportunity here by watching Terry Rozier, Kelly Oubre and Dennis Smith all go down? Well, look, if you're missing Terry Rozier and Kelly Oubre at the same time, I, they were taking somewhere close to 30 shots a game combined. Maybe yeah. more than that on some nights. It was their show. Those shots have to go somewhere, 
right? I mean, and so James Booknight is an offensive player. If you call him up and you play him big minutes and he only – look, if he were to come in and only take like four or five shots a game for the rest of the eight, if that if that was the situation, that would be a massive disappointment. Like you want to bring James Booknight in to actually – do what he did in Greensboro and score 40 points and make 11 threes. Yeah. And if he does that, yeah, I would be like, okay, well, he can, he's got a little bit of a command here. Uh, but if you, now I think it would be a mistake to recall James and then be like, all right, James, I want you to, you know, play within the flow of the game and, you know, really make sure you're passing the ball a lot. No, I mean, I think you, if you bring James Booknight. Isn't Booknight, that the stuff that holds him out though, right? Like, I don't know. Isn't that the thing that keeps him from playing? Maybe, but again, it, this within the context of what we're talking about here, when you're missing the really the only offensive weapons you have, I think you would have to, again, if you're going to decide to bring James Booknight, I think all those rules have to go away. You're not looking for the James Booknight that needs to come in and give you like a fish in buckets off the bench, which is what they were. I think that's what they were looking for, you know, during that first stretch of his play, and they didn't get that. Instead, they got a guy who who couldn't make a basket and who was just really bad defensively. But if you're bringing Book Knight now, I think you're saying, all right, all, all, all things are off now. You go and do what you do, and let's see what, what you can do. And, and if he what? does, if they say, hey, do, and he does, then, oh boy, I might change um, my opinion a little bit. If he, but, he, <laughs> but the bar is higher now, right? Like he's got to come in and lift a team that really probably has some pretty low morale right now is really running out of steam. They're running out of gas. Oh, uh, I, you know, with these final games. So if he lifts this team up and they get a couple wins, yeah, it'll open my eyes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I but I would say even, right, like if the bar is get a couple wins and it would open my eyes, I think the bar is low, right? Like I, I almost view it as the exact opposite. I don't know if it's much higher with Book Knight, which helps. It helps for Book Knight if the bar is low. Like we've given up. <laughs> it's there. You can't jockey for position in the lottery or in the standings. So you're you're just right there. You don't have anybody that you find entertaining offensively. Like the shots went to PJ Washington, who had 20, and they went to SU's feet. So when you don't have any of those <laughs> it's a guys, great, a great nickname, SU's feet. It it's, it's very Six, good. Uh, three rows of seats, room if for the kids, room the bucket, for the soccer gear. SU's feet, get in. It, yeah, if he if he's driving to the bucket, <laughs> just like a big old truck down there, or an SU's fee, if you will, then that's what we need to call him. Um, but yes, so the shots went there. It, so now you're right. Like they can go to James Book Knight and it's like, all right, you get shots. Who cares? We can't, you know, and I know Steve Clifford cares. But anyways, um, that's that's the only other point I wanted to make, though, is the fact that the shots did go to Svee. They did go to P.J. Washington. P.J. was two of 10 from three point range, seven of mm. 20 from the field. But Doug, this was a roller coaster game as far as tale of two halves type of thing. Uh... Yep. Yeah, the PJ roller coaster returns. He started this game super aggressive, six of nine from the field, I believe. I want to say middle of the first quarter, he already had the nine attempts. Maybe he had him at the. I can actually check. I've got the box score in front of me here. So in the first quarter, PJ Washington was three of five. Yeah, first half, he was six of 11 uh, for 16 points and two of five from three. So really great start when they needed him. To, to have a great start. And we've seen aggressive P.J. Washington offensively throughout the season. Um, they've really looked to him specifically to get the offense going. You've often seen him score the first bucket on like a pick-and-pop three situation or a drive-and-kick. So 
Uh, that is an unusual, and what's also not unusual is the roller coaster. We've seen it game to game. We've also seen it in game. So he starts six of nine from the field. He finishes one of 11 from the field. So couldn't find the basket um, as the game moved on. But I'll say this one in particular, I'm not going to hold against him because while he was trying to find the basket, he's playing again with Bryce McGowan's. JT Thor was handling the ball a lot more than JT Thor should be handling it. And there were just turnovers everywhere. You really, there were multiple times in the game where Dell was like, oh, you got to find PJ right there for the basket. And they couldn't find him. And the reason they couldn't find him is because they didn't have a point guard. <laughs> so I'm not going to hold this one against PJ, but it is something we've seen this season. Yeah. Oh, no, the PJ coaster, it's something people have accused him of his career just because we've seen cold stretches, hot stretches. This is what PJ's done offensively. And so you're hoping it can middle out as soon as he can get back to his correct role, right? Like that's that's what you want. And we're not going to be able to get that until next season. So Yeah, I mean, well, oh, that's what we're maybe... talking about with so many of these guys. You know, it's mm -hmm. tough to criticize oh, yeah. Terry Rozier's uh, you know, offensive dip and Kelly's uh, efficiency dip. I mean, there's so many things that, yeah, in a normal year you would look at and go, ew. But when you really understand the context, when you're in deep like we are, when you've got the clothespins on the eyelids and you're watching, you understand that this is super difficult. And look, Clifford's going to go post game and say, we made mistakes in the fourth quarter defensively. We've got to shore that up. And, you know, I'm glad he's like still holding guys accountable, I think, and probably in a sustainable way. Like he's not going out there and berating uh, players and, and calling guys out like stuff that's going to tear apart a locker room. He's holding them accountable, trying to find a balance between, hey, guys, we've still got some stuff to work on. And also, hey, guys, <laughs> we're a mash unit. And, you know, we've got we've just got players dropping like flies left and right. It's 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 a difficult season to really take too much from. Oh, yeah. And that's been the theme of the entire year. All right. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're still having fun. We're still having a great time. In fact, we're starting this new game. It actually debuted yesterday with Nick Carboni. <laughs> What? Why are you it's laughing? It's the worst game. It's the well, it just it's like the you call it a game, and it really like if you think about it, is the worst game to play. Um, yeah, it's a game for punishment, no doubt. But it's a game all the same. Where? What do you want me for me? Doug said we're still having fun. Like, yeah, we're playing a game. Well, this game. It's sucks. like Fear Factor. Yeah, Fear Factor is a game, but at the end, yeah. people eat worms. That's right. We're going to eat bull testicles coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. And we're going to play that in the form of do you remember when Michael Jordan did blank? It's going to be along those lines. And so that's what we're going to play in the last segment. But not before we talk about Ibotta. This episode is brought to you by Ibotta. We're always throwing money at something, kids' school supplies, a new house project. The list goes on. It's time to stop spending your hard-earned money without getting anything in return. Enter Ibotta. You can earn cash back on every shopping trip. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. In fact, the average Ibotta user earns up to $120 a year in real cash back. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to go to, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app 
and use code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A. Ibotta in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. We play a damaging game coming up next. Locked on Hornets. Is Locked on Hornets. Walker, sometimes you don't have to have the best package. Okay. Sometimes... You just have to have the only package. If you wait, or this is uh, if my dating life uh, taught me anything, sometimes you just have to wait around long enough until you're the only thing remaining. And then suddenly, you look pretty great in comparison. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. It's time for everyone's favorite game in the last segment of Locked On Hornets today. That time, Michael Jordan. Oh, actually, I have some. Uh, actually, I have some sound here. Let's uh, let's see if I That's can. That's what I was I, ready for. But yeah, I know. Well, yeah, but I've got what well, the problem is to yeah, take you behind the scenes. Turnaround. I've got some That's sound fine. playing right now. I've got yeah, to wait for so that sound to end. And this then... game is even bad and set up as well. So we're just going with the theme of what this well, thing is. Go ahead, do it again. You want me to do it? All right. It's time now for everybody's favorite game. That time, Michael Jordan. You know who is good at basketball? Michael Jordan. Mm. Hit him. Ah, there you go, okay, that time, Michael Jordan. I've got three things on the menu for you, Walker. You can go. That time, Michael Jordan became an NHL owner. That time, Michael Jordan passed on Quinn Snyder and Jerry Sloan for Mike Dunlap. Or that time, Michael Jordan said he's not cheap and then traded all of the players and went 7-59. and 59. You know what? This has been an episode full of pain, and we've embraced it. Let's go ahead and go to what I think is the worst one. By trading all of the assets that you had after declaring yourself not cheap, and then enduring a seven and 59 season. Plus we get it over with everybody that is tuning into this podcast every single week. You know that you don't have to have this on the horizon. We just get it over with. So let's do that one. Doug. All right. So, bef- okay. In doing this, we need to hop back in the time machine. Uh, Cause I don't know how many people really remember this period of Bobcats basketball. This is good. Every Hornets box score stuff going on right now. Is but the I'm time take machine you- as dangerous as the bees machine yeah. in every Hornets box score? Yeah, well, no, the, the the bees machine is run on uh, nuclear power. And so okay. it always has the chance of, of really destroying an entire uh, city. Um, this one is just a time machine. So we're going to hop back to 2010-2011. That was the season after the Bobcats made the playoffs with Stack Jack and helmed by Larry Brown. Everything seemed to be going well. The Bobcats... Yeah, they got swept, but they had established a playoff presence and were looking to build on that. And instead, what happened was the season went terribly wrong uh, and Larry Brown gets fired, uh, you know, some 20 odd games into the season. And they uh, go back to the well and and rehire Paul Silas from the original Hornets days to come in and save the season. And so... That is the context around this April 2011 Q&A. So we're closing in. Well, the season has ended. That that terrible season has ended. And uh, this is the quote from Michael Jordan. When, when really directly asked about this perception that was building around him and the franchise, that the franchise was cheap. His quote, I don't want people thinking we're not willing to spend or that we're dumping salaries, Jordan said. I want to spend money on a team that gets us into the top four in the East 
I would love to do that. That's all we think about. <laughs> He's been thinking about that a long time, Walker. I think people, because yep. we say it on the show, right? We say it, we've said it when, when talking about Michael Jordan a lot, which is that there's a perception that he's cheap, but that in reality, he wants to spend money, but only when he feels like it's going to result in a top four team in the East. But there's a fallacy in that, right? Because you got to spend money to make money. It's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. If you don't spend money, it's hard to even, it's not as if like, there, you're going to like not spend money and then all of a sudden wake up one day and have a top four team in the East. But it seems well, like, but he's been saying this a long time. Well, I, I would say the caveat to that is drafting somewhat competently over the last decade and a half, which has not happened. That That's another way to get there to a point where you can spend money. And it's they've the worst drafting team in the NBA. I mean, Kimball Walker is your best draft pick by far outside of LaMelo Ball. So that would be the only other thing. But yes, like it's not like he is spending money left and right by any means until you handed out contracts to Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward, and that's not exactly the greatest decision. This this interview uh, is super insightful, and I think the big insight that I take away from this is I understand why Michael Jordan didn't do many interviews after this <laughs> because the problem with MJ, and I think he would he would admit to this, is that when you put a microphone in front of him and he gets to feeling a little comfortable, he does say what's on his mind. <laughs> and a lot of times, oh, yeah. he, you know, that can get you in trouble in this business. Um, when he was asked about the coaching change, he said, I love Larry, but Larry had a tendency to tear down and build back up. Sometimes that's a tough process. Sometimes you lose something in the tearing down that you never gather back up. And he said on the team's 9-19 and 19 start, so it was 28 games before Brown got fired, he said, in terms of Larry's approach, when he said everyone in the East is changing and progressing and we're not, that to me is a negative connotation after a pretty good season. We still had the core of our team from the previous season and that thinking never evolved. If we would have had Paul, Silas, from the beginning of the season, it would have been a different – would it have been a different scenario? I think it would have been. So, I mean, Larry Brown, he cut him loose and then after the season just – Throwing daggers yeah. at the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and so did everybody else. What wasn't? Remember the weird stretch? It was at a completely random time. But we were getting Larry Brown comments from Stephen Jackson and Ryan Hollins, mm -hmm. some NBA personalities that had played for Larry Brown, and there were like three comments in a month and a half stretch worth of time. And it was like how how tough it was to play for him. Now, it's funny because Steven Jackson and Rashid Wallace were just talking about this, Rashid Wallace. And then we were discussing or they were discussing just how it was to play for somebody like him, how he was kind of like this guy that was a mad scientist. But yeah. Rashid playing for a championship team, a little bit different from Steven Jackson. But Steven Jackson talked about how they had one of the top defenses in the league that year. And so they were giving him praise, but they have talked before about how bad it was in years past. And wasn't there some sense that Larry Brown was frustrated that the organization wasn't? And I think he, you know, MJ was a, a little bit alluding to it in this quote that after that playoff season, they just sort of s stood back and said, "All right, let's do it again with the same crew." Instead of going, "Hey, we got swept in the first round. There's something missing here that we need." to really get it going again and didn't really go out and get that thing. So, yeah, there was almost tension from the beginning there, and, yeah. and it obviously didn't work out. But, yeah, on the way out, MJ throwing daggers. And, and he wasn't the only uh, – Larry Brown wasn't the only victim here. It was also Boris Diaw. Do you want to hear some quotes on Boris Diaw 
via uh, Michael yes, Jordan. Yes, I do. I'm sure fans are going to actually embrace these comments. So he said, quote, somehow we've got to figure out the enigma of Diaw so we can make sure he's productive. As we used to tell Tony Kukoc, he's a European. They have different standards and different ways of getting to it. But when they play, they're very integral parts of outstanding teams. This kid is so talented in so many ways. We just need him to get him to focus on that if we can. <laughs> Which was pro- That's probably a funny quote at the time. But I think it's when he brings up Tony Kukoc, it's even funnier in the shadow of the last dance, right? Well, and we knew that we knew that story, but yes, I mean it's 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 also kind of funnier now as to how Europeans are dominating the game across the board. I mean, if you look at the best players in the game, you're talking about Giannis, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic. I mean, Joel Embiid, he did go to Kansas, but he is not from America. So when you're talking about the the Europeans, you know, that's what's funny about Michael Jordan discussing how that's told to like, yeah, this is the standard higher now <laughs> for Europeans as they're coming over. So that's what's interesting. Um, anything else that you have on this uh, that time, Michael Jordan? Uh, well, here's um, and it's going on the DL thing. He said, I played in a different era and I have a whole different view of how to motivate players. The only time I've been able to do that is by playing next to him. So, again, that desire is still there for Jordan. He wanted to suit up. And he said, on Steven Jackson's technical fouls, if we could figure out a way to sew up his lips and leave the referees alone, we might be a better team. <laughs> Again, this is your owner saying this to the beat reporters. Rick Bunnell doing the, the, the great Rick mm-hmm. Bunnell, the late great Rick Bunnell, doing the Q&A here. He's telling this straight to Rick Bunnell. Uh, if we could figure out a way to sew up his lips and leave the referees alone, we might be a better team. And then, <clears throat> this is great. Again, we're in 2011, okay? I want you to just really take that in before I read this to you, okay? On the team needs in 2011, quote, we need a tough rebounder, that person we can count on getting us 10 to 15 and anchoring our defense. We invested in Tyrus Thomas, and hopefully when he comes back from a knee injury, he's going to be able to provide us with that. (laughs) So (laughs) the Hornets are still looking for that guy. Uh, Maybe they found it, Mark Williams, we're hoping, but they've been looking for that guy since 2011. It wasn't Tyrus Thomas. <laughs> he got uh, the guy he was praising, Paul Silas, ended up almost getting into a fight with him in the locker room. So, all right, this is weird. So, I just real quickly, I just wanted to do some house cleaning real quickly about like Joel Embiid not being American. Like, he does have U.S. citizenship. He was born in Cameroon. I just wanted to clean that up, but he does have U.S. citizenship too. But here's the weird part as I was looking up the nationalities, yes, multiple of Joel Embiid. He is a U.S. citizen. He was born in Cameroon. And mm-hmm. here is the write-up in which I just looked up. Embiid at 28 was born in Cameroon and has never competed in a major international tournament. In July, he gained French nationality, a step toward being able to represent that nation at the 2024 Paris Olympics. In the spring, French media reported that Embiid started the process to become eligible to represent France in international basketball, quoting national team general manager, Boris Diaw. Hey. What a weird little bow tied on this podcast. And that's how we'll end it today. Well, I'm pretty sure I saw Boris on the sidelines for a game recently. You know, he's, he's uh, had some, I don't yes, know if he, he still has it, but he had some ownership stake in, in some restaurants around Charlotte. Um, so Boris has been a, a fixture around the city for a while. You know, th- this is a little treat, little nugget for fans who stick around this long for the show. 
But I had this thought watching a little bit of the World Baseball Classic. I know that there is this big international basketball competition that happens every four years in, in the Olympics, and, and that's a big deal. And there are all kinds of things, you know, uh, around getting the U.S. national team ready, and they've really invigorated that thing. Um, and, and obviously, a lot of there, there are a lot of international basketball organizations that look forward to the Olympics. But I just wonder, you know, as as I think the NBA needs to really reevaluate the All Star Weekend. If there is, and I know they're thinking about a midseason tournament, they've got all these ideas cooked up to try to get young people to reinvest in in the game in the NBA game in general. But I think as they look towards things that they could do for the uh, NBA All Star Weekend, I think they really should look more into embracing this World Baseball Classic idea of like, hey, let's get some national teams together and 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 do it up, uh, as opposed to, you know. Uh, this dr- drafting players not east and west anymore. I don't know. They they just got to figure something out. Well, it's it's funny because MLB is wanting the World Baseball Classic actually out of the picture right now. But <laughs> but the NBA, it'd be funny if they adopted it. Well, and I know what you're saying like mid season they would yeah. they would like the baseball. You know, it could happen. I guess mid season if they wanted it to. But we'll they got to exactly. tap. They got to find a way to tap into that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's impossible to tap into that idea of like people like to root for their country. Well, they do and, team and, world and without, in US. without the whole idea of doing something completely separate that owners are not going to appreciate when guys get injured. Well, and, and yeah, I understand your point. They, they do team us versus team world in the rookie sophomore, the young stars challenge, rising stars challenge, whatever it is. So, yeah, so they do that. So maybe you could add on to that. Um, with the I, I think they should do a three V three tournament, but it's, it's it's it is international teams, but instead of just doing a U.S. team because it's only three players from the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, I think they should do it state by state, right? You get a North Carolina team, you get a yeah, and and you, you don't have to do all fifty, but you get you know enough players together from a state, and and you go after it. Um, what about a three v Sfi tournament? Just three <laughs> different Sfi Mackay Lukes, and just have them go at it. That's what I oh, want. Oh man. Power, That'd be great. <laughs> elegance, beauty, Thanks fierceness. Thanks for making the Nissan Aria, the SU Speed. Thank you for sponsoring this show. And also thanks to you for making us your first listen today. Make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the league with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked On NBA. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend. We will be back with you on Monday.